Welcome to the Kentucky Gentleman Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate and provide valuable insights into the world of construction, design, development, investing, and sales. Located in Louisville, Kentucky, here are your hosts, award-winning custom home builder Jason Black with Artisan Signature Homes and top-selling realtor John Mand with Lenihan Sotheby's International Realty. John, you want to introduce our next guest, the famous John Linehan? Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, in putting this show together, I thought there couldn't be a better person uh, to bring on the podcast here in the early episodes to uh, get us oriented to uh, the Louisville real estate market than, than John Linehan. I've known John for 10 years. He's been a mentor and a friend and, uh, importantly, my employer and now managing broker. And... Uh, just been a, a tremendous resource. I've learned a, a ton from him. Just an incredible wealth of experience in, in general business acumen as well as uh, real estate specific knowledge and uh, just an inspiring guy to be around. I mean, he, he has the ability to just kind of cast a grand vision, which a lot of people can do, but he's able to actually uh, translate that into uh, you know concrete steps to build the framework to make his vision become a reality. And that's where so many people fall short. So uh, just tremendous amount of respect for the man. Um, excited, you know, to have him on the show. Yeah, I just, as I said, couldn't think of anybody better to chat with. Well, so. and I think our listeners will really enjoy getting to know John. I, I've known John for a while, but I, I learned a lot about his beer selling days and yes. marketing days and, you know, how he amassed, what, 50 or 60 acres of storage facilities mm-hmm. and, um really has created that mailbox money, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, uh, was, as you'll hear in the in the interview here, just a tremendous backstory that comes along with that, which uh, despite uh, how long it may be, uh, still doesn't even begin to unpack the whole story of John Linehan. So we probably have to have him back on for another episode or two. I think that sounds perfect. Well, I guess without further ado, folks, enjoy our conversation with John Linehan. John Linehan, thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure. And we thought, what better way or what better guest to start out our podcast than the king of high-end real estate. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this luxury custom market of Sotheby's and maybe a little background of yourself. Sure. I got into Sotheby's uh, nine and a half years ago when I had made the decision to open a residential real estate firm. I've been in commercial development for 30 years or so prior to that. And at a point, as I said, about nine and a half, 10 years ago, I wanted to get into residential real estate. I had always thought that the high end of the market was my preferred focus uh, simply because that is the highest commission dollars. And so in a phrase, we wanted to fish where the fish were. We wanted to go to the highest end of the market and try to establish ourselves as the premier luxury firm here in Louisville. And that word luxury is has a quantitative attachment to it of $400,000, $425,000 sales and above. And that comes from a metric of one and a half, two times the average sale price here in Louisville, which at the time when I was opening Sotheby's was maybe $210,000, $215,000. So we wanted to focus on the four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand dollars $450,000 sales and above. 
And during the process of setting up the residential firm, I happened to come across the fact that Sotheby's was looking to expand throughout the middle, the Midwest and the upper south of the United States. They had, in fact, already interviewed several people here in Louisville and had made a choice to align themselves with a group out of Lexington that already had a Sotheby's franchise called Bluegrass Sotheby's, and they were going to align with Bluegrass to open here in Louisville. So they were already prepared for what the Louisville market was about, and I just went to Sotheby's in New York and convinced them that we would be a better choice than would be Lexington, simply because I was born here, raised here, had sure. a great presence already with commercial. I'd been in independent residential real estate for quite some time before I opened Sotheby's, but really to make the push into the luxury category, I needed a brand. And without question, the best decision I made, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was to align myself with Sotheby's because that gave our firm and everybody that joined it instant credibility at the high end of the market. The auction house, which uh, has been around for 250 years and has a name that is recognized as one of the finest quality service and outstanding corporations throughout history. So what better way to gloss ourselves with the Sotheby's auction house name? So immediately we took off and it's been fantastic ever since. Last year we closed close to 300 million in sales. Hopefully this year we'll close if everything holds together during the market, maybe 325, 350 million dollars in sales. So quite a uh, success story for just nine and a half years. Yeah. And had you ever sold real estate? I know you'd been in real estate for a while, but had you ever sold real estate prior to? A little bit. And it was a friends and family type of circumstance. People knew that I was a commercial developer, had my license, and knew that I knew several high net worth individuals around Louisville. So I initially began selling off market where someone would mention to me at a cocktail party or call me at the office and say, hey, XYZ is thinking of selling. Um, they'd like to meet with you uh, to see if maybe you might know somebody that could put this together. And I just started doing that for three or four years. And then at the point that I got very, very busy doing it, I thought about hiring an assistant. And as I went through that process, I then thought, well, boy, maybe I could open up a full brokerage. And at that point, I had already chosen a location on Brownsboro Road and Chinwith Lane and had leased the office, picked out the furniture, designed it, and was going to call it Lenahan uh, Fine Homes. It was at that point that I realized that Sotheby's was a possibility to come to Louisville and immediately targeted them and away we went. But yeah, for two or three years before selecting Sotheby's or Sotheby's selecting me, I had done a lot of off-market sort of high-end net worth sales and that was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. And so you mentioned commercial development. Tell me a little bit about what the early part of your career consisted of? Yeah, um, serendipitous events came to become tremendous success story. I had come back from New York to be a finance officer at a local company, and that local company had a trucking division. 
one of the primary contacts of the trucking division was a gentleman named Charlie Johnson. And Charlie was an African-American in the African-American development program for Ford to sponsor his new business efforts. He was a professional football player for the San Francisco 49ers, went to the University of Louisville, massive man, a offensive tackle. And he came into my office one day associated with his trucking company and said that he needed somebody to buy a warehouse because he had a contract with Ford Motor Company to handle transmissions for a new car that they were bringing out. And that new car happened to be the Explorer. And we all know what happened to the Ford Explorer when it opened in the um, middle to late 80s. It just exploded. The SUV market was essentially created or branded as viable when the Explorer came out. So Mr. Johnson and I formed a partnership and I began buying warehouses for his company to store initially transmissions and then other engine parts for Ford Motor Company. He parlayed his end of the deal into a four or $500 million company based in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and just had phenomenal success. I didn't quite have that fortune, <laughs> um, which is to be expected. I was just the, the lowly conservative landlord buying property. But it, when it came to buying the property, because we were dealing with Ford, our focus was on the Ford plant on Fern Valley Road. That then sort of extrapolated out to the airport area. And so in a sort of stroke of genius slash luck, I began to buy old factories around Louisville International Airport on the west side where Crittenden Drive is. And back in those days, it was just a two-lane road out past the fairgrounds into the International Harvester factory that was long bankrupt into some wood mills, sawmills that were out by the airport. There was a whole Section 8 sort of suburban ghetto out there. I just started buying land in that area, and it was adjacent to the Louisville Airport. Well, shortly after Mr. Johnson and I started our partnership, UPS announced that they were going to come to Louisville and locate their international airline here in Louisville and begin overnight service here out of Louisville. So all those old properties that essentially had you know little or no value became exponentially more valuable because the entire airport area was morphing from, as I mentioned, the suburban ghetto. And that is a fact because the airport, when they went to condemn land for Ford, used the argument that this was a blighted area and that it served no economic purpose and they had eminent domain, which allowed them to literally clear out maybe four to 5,000 low-income homes in the immediate airport. And people forget about it. But, you know, I'm not saying anything against the Louisville Airport Authority. They had eminent domain on their side, but man, they ran roughshod over the uh west side of the Louisville airport and eliminated all those homes. And in fact, they announced it in July of 1988. Now flash forward to March of 2020. And the last 120 acres that the airport 
condemned, which was a low-income housing project. They condemned UPS is starting construction on a two-bay, $750 million construction project on that site. So the very last parcel of land, and I'm thinking they condemned three, 500 acres, the last 100 acres, 120 acres of it is uh, coming to fruition beginning next month as UPS breaks ground on a $750 million expansion of their airport uh, properties. And guess who's right next door? (laughs) So um, it's better to be lucky than smart. Um, I had absolutely no way to anticipate that that type of development would happen. But going back into the middle 80s, it's hard to believe, but Standard Field, as it was known then, was just a sleepy little airport with, and John Mann may be able to address this, but they had runways that were simply shaped like an X. Mm -hmm. And that was a tremendously inefficient design, design, thank you, for somebody like UPS. So they erased everything on the airport property and as I say, hundreds of acres around it and created two parallel runways that they have today. And that economic engine known as UPS has probably been one of the most transformational investments made by a company in Louisville in the last hundred years. I mean, Ford certainly means a lot. GE certainly meant a lot. Humana means a lot. But in terms of just raw economic development and spinoffs and exponential growth for the community, I would say that UPS has, has been that transformational corporation for the city of Louisville. And to own property right next door to them is pretty good thing. Yeah. So long story, but it was, oh, uh, awesome. it was fortuitous. Just, I had absolutely no idea that the airport was going to condemn everyone around me mm-hmm. and leave me with 65 acres and almost a million square feet of, of a logistic space. There's another tangent of your background that, that touches on those warehouses, though, correct? Your uh, history in the uh, beer distribution mm-hmm. business and the branding and everything that's associated with that. We talk a little bit about that because I, I think that was really had some tie-ins that, sure. that I found to be pretty powerful with the branding that you've done with the local Sotheby's office. Exactly. I uh, began my career in New York working for what is now J.P. Morgan and was dead set on being a the president of a bank in New York. Why I thought that that was possible, I have, I have <laughs> absolutely no idea. But after about three or four years, I realized I wasn't going to become chairman of the board of J.P. Morgan. I think Jamie Dimon's done a little bit better job than I could have done. But in any event, after about three years or so in New York, I was offered an opportunity to come back to Louisville as a finance officer in a private company that owned a bunch of different businesses. One of the businesses that they owned was called Dixie Beer Distributors. And Dixie Beer Distributors was the distribution arm for the Miller Brewing Company, the Pabst Brewing Company, the Stroh's Brewing Company, and the Heilman Brewing Company. And we had about a 60% share of all beer sold in the metropolitan area of Louisville with those brands. Stroh's, of course, has gone out of favor as has well, I guess Pabst is back a little bit. Anyway, it was a very dynamic company. And I think that more than anything else, I learned about branding at that 
position. Even though I was in finance, I sat in on all the meetings and we had the top Philip Morris executives because they owned Miller Brewing Company at the time, the top Philip Morris executives, the top Miller executives coming in to make presentations to us Dixie Beer distributors as their primary salesman about what it means to differentiate Miller High Life and Light from Bud Light or Colt 45 malt liquor or something. It was just all about making sure that you understood your product, who you were, what you were, and more importantly, to whom you were targeting the product that you happen to be distributing. And so eight years of that, just constantly paying attention to how the cans are placed in the grocery store, where they're placed in the grocery store, the height of which they're placed in the grocery store, all of that additional marketing with brands like Fritos with the beer, Chili Dogs with the beer, just all this enormous sort of world of marketing and branding I was exposed to. And so when I started the residential real estate, that's what was so attractive to me about Sotheby's because it's a brand. It is the brand and could catapult myself as well as any other individual agent that aligned themselves with us to immediate credibility, to absolute authority and a tremendous gloss of success. And so I know that had, I would guess, had I not had that initial branding experience back with the beer distributing, I might've been just as likely to choose Remax or just have gone with John Linehan Properties or just gone with a brand that is everything. There's nothing wrong with Remax. It's absolutely fabulous. It serves its customers quite well. But for someone that is looking to be luxury oriented in the highest end of the market, I needed a brand that would be synonymous with that. So again, it just incredibly fortuitous historical events led me to where I am now. There is no way that you could have said, oh, it matters how Miller positions their high life beer or their light beer in a grocery store is going to lead you to sell residential real estate. (laughs) But believe it or not, it it absolutely did. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I was just, I have been for all these years just parroting what I learned from them. And then Sotheby's provides a tremendous backdrop of skilled marketing professionals to augment what little bit I was able to contribute to it. Okay. And so you've got this great brand and building the business. What has been the biggest challenge that you've faced over the 10 years of growing it and accomplishing what you've done in the market? Personally, the biggest challenge is that I haven't got to sell every single high-end home in Louisville. (laughs) Um, Initially, I thought that, well, why are they going with them? They should be going with us. We're Sotheby's. And it really did kind of weigh on me that friends would use another agent who they had known for 25 or 30 years. Well, now looking back on it, of course they should have used that agent that they've known for 25 or 30 years. (laughs) They don't need to use John Linehan, who they don't know, or Sotheby's who maybe we were so early in the market that they weren't aware of even what we were. So personally, it was kind of disappointing as a competitor to find out that I was not going to sell every two and three million dollar home in Louisville. <laughs> and uh, that monopoly uh, status has not been achieved. Exactly, exactly. Dominance has been achieved, <laughs> but not monopoly status. So individually, that was kind of uh, something to kind of deal with. Professionally, I think that like so many other businesses, it is man 
managing the expectation and the behavior of the people that you work with. And by expectation, I mean, we have set ourselves up as the premier luxury agent. I can only do so much to assist a private real estate agent to then go achieve their goals. I want to set up the background for them to have success. I want to uh, give them the tools for success, but ultimately they have to do it. And sometimes that expectation can get a little bit crossways in the sense that agents would say, well, why can't you do it for me? Well, that's just not life. It just doesn't work that way. So I think sometimes, even though we have had tremendous success as an agent overall, within the agency, sometimes there are people that don't fully recognize that it is ultimately their choice to whether they have success or not. We can only do so much. After that, it really comes from within that drive for an agent to make a success of themselves. Because what we know in residential real estate, unlike a lot of businesses, the market is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And by that, I mean, how on earth do you know who's going to sell a house? They may not even know that they're going to sell their house. How do you know where that buyer is when they haven't put a sign out that says, hey, I'm a buyer of a million-dollar house? Mm -hmm. You have to create a set of behaviors and a set of best practices that allow you to attract those buyers and those sellers without knowing exactly who they are or when they're going to buy and sell. So it's this continuous effort. It is just so important to develop a sense of a sort of work ethic just as consistent and persistent without listening to any of the failures that may be occurring around you. You just have to show up and you have to keep doing it day after day after day after day, even though it appears it isn't working. It will work. We know this works. Sotheby's has proven it. There are always going to be ups and downs in an individual agent's sales career as there are going to be ups and downs with um, the agency's sales career. But for me, it's always been a little bit about managing those agents' expectations as to what we as the agency can do for them. We can't do everything. It's ultimately to that agent to make his or her life what they want it to be. Speaking of managing expectations with your agents, what about managing expectations with your clients? That's what separates us. We want those expectations to be extraordinarily high, and we better damn well meet them. The people that we deal with by virtue of the price point tend to be professionals. Certainly, we sell a lot of homes for new buyers as well as people that may be retiring or otherwise, um, some change in their life. But on balance, we are our primary market is the high net worth professional that is buying or selling their home. And rightfully, their expectations, like they would have in any sort of a retail circumstance or service circumstance, is that it should be phenomenal. It needs to be almost perfect because at the point whether they're getting a massage or whether they're shopping at Trader Joe's or whether they're in a Gucci store or whether they're flying on Emirates Air, they're used to that service aspect being absolutely unequivocally focused on them. They're not necessarily concerned with the person around them. They want what they want and it's incumbent upon us at Sotheby's to deliver that. 
in sort of matching that sort of expectation up with our firm, that's why we have only chosen to work with full-time professional agents that have been doing this for five years or more. We can't train a new agent to deal with a multi-million dollar buyer. That's just not going to happen. We don't have the time to do that or really the inclination to do that. So what we want to do is attract the already successful agents that are currently at Remax or currently at Keller or currently at Seminon so that they will match up better with our brand with clients that they are already dealing with. But their brand doesn't match up with that. It's very difficult to translate Seminon into luxury. It's very difficult to, because it's ubiquitous. It's every in the community. You're in Germantown, you're in West Louisville, you're in Bullock County, you're in Spencer County. Those are all service areas that are critical to the community and props for them for serving those areas. At certain other places where you're trying to focus on a higher end of the market, you want to have agents that are used to dealing with that high-end client. So I've always been fascinated with brand and building businesses, but what is it other than the name Sotheby's that does set your agents apart? What do you all do that's different than an agent with a Remax? Right. Again, we want to think of ourselves as professional and personal service agents. Because the way of the industry, you first sell a house or market a house. At that point then, so many other factors come into play that the agent is responsible for managing. It can be construction. It can be the financing. It can be the appraisals. It can be the zoning. We are looked at and I want us to take on that mantle as professional service advisors that says, fine, we're gonna sell your house, we can do that, we can market your house, absolutely, no problem, stick the sign in the yard, start with internet campaigns, start with print campaigns, et cetera. That's a done deal. What we then go beyond is to say that we're gonna take care of every other aspect of this transaction. We're gonna help you get the financing even though we are not benefiting from that financially. We're gonna find a, qualified construction companies such as Artisan Homes to help us complete this transaction because it's so much, the, the customer is looking for so much more than they used to. And we want to take that on. I think a lot of other agencies tell their agents, do not take that on. That isn't our responsibility. You're out of your depth. You could make mistakes. You could get sued. You could give the wrong advice. They're afraid to essentially be a guide for all things real estate. We, on the other hand, want our agents to embrace that and to say, we're going to be the smartest, calmest, most authoritative person in the room. We know who the best builder is. We know where you're going to be able to get this financed, even though you have $5 million of assets, but only income of $85,000 in dividends. And so you don't fit a mortgage broker who's going to look at income figures and other aspects of your, of your financial life and say, well, it doesn't qualify. We can get you qualified knowing that we're going to find the most innovative banker or financing institution to help you. And we want to take that on. It's absolutely what separates us and differentiates us from the other 5,000 agents with licenses here in Louisville. 
Yeah, no, that's amazing. Can you share with us maybe a success story or a maybe a one of the largest? I'm always fascinated. You said you picked high in real estate because of the dollar amount, but give folks an idea of some of the transactions that you guys encounter. Well, I think one of the most unusual success stories, and John Mann participated in this with me, is that we were able to, we had a relationship with a high net worth private individual that we sold a residential home. We were then able to parlay that relationship with that high net worth individual into the purchase of a $26 million office building out on Blanket Baker Parkway. I don't know that there's been any Remax agents who are doing that. <laughs> um, again, nothing against Remax. They're serving a different clientele than we are. But John and I had a relationship with a gentleman and a friend of mine said, hey, I'm selling this office building. And we sort of brainstormed it and said, yeah, we, we think we can do that. We, we, I think we can find somebody. So we signed a contract with the residential customer, found another residential customer to buy this. So again, all that simply means is that it goes back to what I was speaking about of becoming a authority on real estate, whether it be commercial or residential. Obviously, we're laser focused on residential. But if you understand finances, if you understand economic returns, what individual private investors are looking for, you can cross sell that to help with commercial properties. So that was just one instance and a very much of an anomaly, but it then gave myself and John and others in the office the idea that we can do a lot of commercial activity. So we started Lenahan Commercial Properties, which sort of acts as the outlet for connecting high net worth individuals who want to sell a strip mall or want to buy a strip mall, or maybe they have a warehouse in their business that needs to be sold. We want to be able to prove to them and show them that we can handle that transaction as well. On the residential side, I think one of the greatest success stories is and is emblematic of my statement that you just have to be persistent and consistent and show up every day, day after day, regardless of what's going on, is that one evening in, I remember specifically that it was around Thanksgiving and um, it was after five o'clock. We had only been open probably about a year or a year and a half, I guess. And um, the phone rang around 5.30 and I was heading out the door and I looked at my assistant who was watching the phone blink and he's rolling his eyes and I'm rolling my eyes and I'm like, okay, answer the phone, never mind. Well, it turned out to be an individual whom we sold a home up by the Louisville Country Club for a couple of million dollars. We then have since sold him three or four other homes. It has just been a daisy chain of success all emanating from that single phone call that nine out of 10 times we probably wouldn't have answered or thought we shouldn't answer, but we did answer. We connected with a client that to this day, 10 years, almost 10 years later, has become one of our biggest individual clients. And had we not answered that phone, it probably would have gone off to another agent in the market that he would have used to buy the house. And, um, we never would have been involved. But, and I don't want to mention the names, but John Mand is certainly aware of it. This person has been just a, a tremendous blessing to our company. He, we've just formed a fantastic partnership and sold many homes. 
right, John. So I was just reading an article in Business First that talked about just some of the challenges or unique nature of the high-end real estate market. What would you say is different about uh, selling a high-end home versus the general median-priced homes? I think that the level of attention that is required from the agent to the high-end market is far more significant than it is on the lower end. With that said, our firm has the motto that we're going to give you million-dollar service at all price points. Mm -hmm. Basically, marketing a $200,000 home is the same as, almost the same as a high-end home. And that we want to have our internet platforms, our social media platforms, our print space, and other sort of marketing avenues equally attentive to a $200,000 home as we do a million-dollar home. That's the fundamental baseline that we want to give every single property. It is going to be no different in that respect. However, where the attention required on a million-dollar home comes in is just the nature of the customer you're dealing with. As I mentioned before, most of these high-net-worth individuals have been successful in life. And success in life tends to imbibe, I forget the word, sort embody. of embody someone that is used to getting their way. They want attention now. When? Why? How's that not happening now? Can't you tell me what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. There's just a whole different sort of interaction with a high-end customer. People at $200,000 are certainly going to receive from our firm every imaginable marketing opportunity that the million dollar people are. But just by their nature, that they may not be as aggressive or demanding as the high end Mm -hmm. individual. And so I think that's really what separates it. And what we have to train our agents to is, look, you want one phone call from that high net worth individual that says, who should I use to uh, renovate the house? Let him make that one phone call, and then you go make 15 phone calls Mm -hmm. and just report back, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. I've got this set up. They're going to be there at 3.30 on on Thursday afternoon. You want to go behind all of the simple questions to the really complex parts where the customer hasn't even asked for it, but you know that it's coming, so get all that organized and done. Mm -hmm. In a $200,000 sale, those types of opportunities rarely present themselves. Those homes tend to be not under full renovation immediately, or they are as-is, where-is sort of Mm -hmm. purchases. Higher-end homes, they tend to immediately want to work on the house. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to deliver services to that client without them really having to ask us. Mm -hmm. We know what they need, so let's give it to them. Let's be proactive. One thing I've always been amazed with in real estate, and I've used you guys several times to sell some multi-million dollar properties, is I've always been amazed at the lockbox or super on the front door that many agents, if they have a multi-million dollar listing, are not present, and they have, gosh, no feedback, no... There's just no selling point for representation for the client. And you guys always, at least my understanding, is always have an agent 
present at every show. Yeah, it's, it's hard to be a sales agent if you're not present at the point it, of sale. Exactly. <laughs> and again, fundamental and very easy to do and very easy not to do. We don't allow agents to list and leave. They need to list and serve, list and market. So if you're in a million dollar home or a $2 million home and you have an opportunity for a 30 or a $60,000 commission, I think it's damn well important that you show up. That is the very least we can do. So as a matter of policy, we require all of our agents to be at showings. And if they've double booked or they're out of town, we ask them to make arrangements prior. Um, They certainly can call into the office and any of the support staff will show up for them, including myself. I'll be happy to cover. Yes, there are circumstances where maybe you can't make it. We understand that, but there's ways to make sure that our client is served by us at the point the customer comes into the house one way or another. And it's just baffling to me. But again, interesting about branding and differentiation, we promote that within our agents and promote it to the market. It's so simple. Everybody could do it, but nobody does it. So that's good for us. It's low-hanging fruit. (laughs) It is absolutely incredible to me that people would not think enough of their customer, especially in today's environment, with what could be taken from a home, what could be seen in a home, what could be done in a home, that they don't have their representative at that house. I would fire my agent if he didn't go to a listing because what else are you supposed to do other than what John talked about? At the point of sale, you need to be there as a sales agent. Well, there's going to be questions and there's yeah, unknowns absolutely. and it's easy for them just yep. to move on to the next totally. house if they can't get that and, answer. And we know and we know that objections that aren't dealt with immediately tend to fester and become major sales objections. It's incredible to think this as a Louisvillian, but a lot of people who come to our market from out of Louisville don't know what a septic system is. There's no septic systems in New York. There's no septic systems in Boston. There's no septic systems in Dallas. I mean, I guess it at some point there may be, but on balance, you go into these million dollar homes in Indian Hills, Glenview, along River Road, there's a lot of septic systems. And people are like, no, wait, (laughs) you're telling me that it sits in the yard? (laughs) There's like a box out there? Well, that's a sort of funny and and a little bit of a bizarre example, but that can become overwhelmingly negative in the sense of, oh, is this a boiler? What is a boiler? I want a forced air. Well, boilers are actually very cost effective, very good at delivering even heat and very inexpensive to operate. And if your home has a boiler, it doesn't mean that you're out of the Dickinsonian uh, era with you know somebody shoveling coal in on, on Sunday evenings. Mm-hmm. It's just those objections that if dealt with immediately can be removed as objections to a purchase. And so you bring up an absolutely fantastic point. You need to be there to answer the questions, not only to support the seller, but to answer the questions because most likely the other agent is not going to know the answer to the questions. And so you want to be there to do it. What are you seeing? What, you know, we were talking about all these high-end homes, but in your eyes or your opinion, what makes a home a luxury home or a high-end home? What are the buyers looking for these days in this marketplace? First and foremost, it is the location. And that tends to be sort of a an east end, northeast 
quadrant of the community is where about, I think, 80 or 90 percent of all the residential home construction permits have been issued in the last three or four years. I forget the exact number, but it's it's phenomenal. And newer construction tends to be more expensive. So uh, there's definitely a geographic component to luxury. And then second is the most recent update. Um, You can either have a historical home that is by definition going to be luxury because it's 12,000 feet or it's 8,000 feet and was built in the 1940s. That's and is inside the Waterson Expressway. That's going to be a luxury property, no question. But by the same token, you can get luxury properties right where we are right now in Norton Common that were built a year ago. It's within that northeast quadrant of the community. It's going to be above $400,000. It's going to have a an open floor plan. It's going to have current colors palette that people are looking for. It's going to have coordinated fixtures throughout the home where a lot of times in other areas of the community, you just don't have the size, the floor plan of what would define luxury. Just you know, with the news going on today, obviously lots of dislocation in the market. We have a coronavirus. We have the, the stock markets all entering uh, bear market territory now. So what do you tell your clients uh, as all this is going on or what's been the reaction from your clients? What about you know, your agents? I would tell them to keep heart paddles close. <laughs> Um, I, for instance, had to get a shot of epinephrine to get me up this morning because I was in a total fog and just a haze of doubt and insecurity and uncertainty. I mean, what do you say about hysteria? I obviously have absolutely no valid medical or financial abilities to project what's going on. But I think that if you take things in their totality, you become calm and recognize that this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. I think from COVID-19, already China is saying that their cases are declining and people are being released and it seems to be under control. Obviously, as Europe and uh, America and so other countries become infected with this, there's gonna be a a month or two months during which there's gonna be a tremendous amount of uncertainty. But I don't think that if you are a buyer or a seller that you need to postpone your purchase or your sale. In both circumstances, the fact that the stock market has tanked and the federal government has stepped into lower interest rates and the market in general has stepped into lower interest rates, that's a tremendous opportunity for refinancing. It's Mm -hmm. a tremendous opportunity for somebody to finance a new luxury home at a much lower rate than they would have uh, just a month ago. So there's a silver lining to that. And I think that the rates will go back up, and I think the stock market will go back up, and I think that the uh, COVID-19 will run its course, and God willing, it won't affect that many people. But to the extent that it's running rampant right now, I don't see any decisions that should be made for or against what's going on. It doesn't affect us. Real estate is a long-term gain. You are not looking to sell a house in 25 minutes or you're not looking to buy a house by Friday afternoon. We are a um, one or two, maybe three purchases in a lifetime. And whether there's a world war going on or whether there's COVID-19 going on, you have to look at the long term. And so I would 
advise our clients to uh, just be calm. If you're looking to buy a home, you're going to get a heck of an interest rate. If you're looking to sell a home, I think that you're going to get good activity because the buyer can get a lower interest rates than maybe they might have before. Mm-hmm. If you're a stock market individual, I just sit tight. Mm-hmm keep calm and carry on. Yes. <laughs> and again, what, what can we do? There's absolutely, it's coming at us so fast and furious right now, but it will pass. It, it will pass. These are not sort of permanent marks on the economy or on society. Mm-hmm. It will get resolved. Nothing fundamental. Nothing fundamental. No, my mm-hmm. God, no, mm-hmm. no. It is comforting to hear that because it, it's uncharted territory for my lifetime to have mm-hmm. something like this. And it's, you know, I, I do understand why people get a little bit wigged out, but real estate is a, it's always been a solid investment and it will continue to be a solid investment. No question. And again, think back to the height of the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, the stock market was at 9,000. How would you like to have bought all in at 9000 and now even with the corrections, it's 20000 above it or whatever? I mean, it's just these are very unique times. And for those people that are not aggressively trying to time the market, just stay there, do nothing, and it'll all be fine. As it relates to real estate, same thing. Nobody's rushing out to sell a house. I have to sell by Friday or I have to purchase by next Wednesday. Stay the course. The fact that interest rates have dropped so low is a tremendous advantage over the long-term life of a home Mm -hmm. that you're not going to pay as much money in borrowing costs. Man, what a pleasure it's been having your perspective. And I have a million more questions and in lieu of your time. We want to respect that. Maybe we'll bring Yeah, maybe back. another episode here. Uh, yeah, I want know, to learn yeah. more about those warehouses uh, and how I can get in on uh, some yeah, of that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. that, uh, but uh, as we depart, any uh, advice you'd give to maybe a new agent or somebody thinking about getting into the real estate business? I would be prepared for a long slog. A lot of people get involved for a specific transaction. That is, my aunt is going to sell. My uncle is buying. I myself am going to buy something. So they tend to get excited about getting their license around or anticipation of a transaction occurring that they can make some money off of. That's fine and good, but you need to be prepared that It is a very, very difficult business to succeed at because there's no barrier to entry. Anybody can get into real estate with a couple of weeks time and I think maybe $1,000 to go to a real estate school. So as a result, I think that there's 10,000 total licenses in Louisville, all essentially chasing the same market. And 4,000 or 5,000 of those 10,000 will actually sell something this year. But the vast majority, I mean 90% of those people are going to be two or three transactions. Mm -hmm. Again, the Sotheby's has um, approximately 17 agents in the top 95th percentile of the market. And most all of our agents are within the top 15% of the market in terms of success. And it's because they've been in the business working it for five years, seven years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. It takes so long to get embedded 
in customers' minds and in their buying and selling patterns that, oh, I'm going to call Jason or I'm going to call John Mand or I might even call John Lenihan's firm. It takes a lifetime of effort to get in that flow with people. And so to anybody that's starting out, just be prepared for the most seemingly obvious but difficult things to do, and that is show up every day with a smile on your face and working the plan that you have decided is going to give you the best opportunity to market yourself. Because it is all about branding. It is all about differentiation within those brands. It's all about execution and knowledge of your product. And for a new agent to identify with those or to own those sort of characteristics, it takes time. And you just have to keep working it like anything else. But the problem with it is that you can't be provided with a market area specifically to call or farm and know you're gonna be successful. If you're selling tools, you're given a list of people that buy tools. If you're selling houses, there's no list. You don't know where they are. You don't know when they're gonna act. You don't know anything about people. They may not even know what they're talking about. So it's very difficult to say, I'm gonna sell houses. Well, where do you start? How do you do it? All I'm saying is that at the point that you develop that plan of where, how, and when, you have to do it consistently for years. Mm -hmm. And it just is, it doesn't matter, John Mann selling $50 million or Bill Smith selling $1 million. The same fundamental keys to success are applicable to both people. That's awesome. Yeah. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, John, what's the easiest way for them to find you? Uh, my website for the company is the, are the four initials LS, is in Sam, IR.com. That's short for Lenahan Sotheby's International Realty, LSIR.com. Myself and our other 32 agents' profiles are on that website, together with all the exclusive listings that we have on the website. And then, of course, you can search any MLS home from the website or worldwide from the website. So LSIR.com. That's much easier than spelling out. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. I appreciate I, yeah. And I think uh, John Mann would relate. I think we bought that acronym from a troll over in Ireland. We did. We, we, that was a good real, digital yeah. real estate digital purchase. Digital real estate there. purchase. We needed yeah. the four-letter domain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I don't know, what, what did he want? Like a bag of beans and, yeah, yeah. and $3,000 or something. <laughs> it was comical. But it was from Ireland. It was. It, it yeah. was. Yeah. There so. was a cyber squatter that we had to, we <laughs> yeah, had to claim yeah. that from. So, well, yeah. uh, we really appreciate your time oh. and expertise. It's been uh, very enjoyable. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. And, and shout out to you as someone that we recommend as the premier builder in Louisville, without question. Our association is one that we really have been pleased by and count on and look forward to many more years working with you because you are the top of your industry, without question. Appreciate that. And thanks to John Mann, our top agent. Thank you. Lenahan well, Sotheby's International Realty. Well, thank you. And uh, appreciate you being on the show. Appreciate you coming on the inaugural episode. And as Jason said, I just don't think we could have picked a better guest. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Thank you for listening to the Kentucky Gentleman Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the work Jason and John are doing, you can follow them on Instagram at Artisan Signature Homes and at John Mand and Associates. If you're interested in working with John to buy or sell real estate, you can contact him at johnmand.com. 
If you're interested in working with Jason for a custom home build, you can contact him at artisansignaturehomes.com. And finally, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss any new episodes. And while you're at it, if you can leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it and would love to hear from you. We'll catch you on our next episode of Kentucky Gentlemen. Gentlemen.